Yeah, good morning, everyone. Um, first of all, I would like to thank Capital Link for the opportunity to speak here today, where I would like to talk about uh, commodity markets and what are the key drivers behind that yeah, significant inflation uh, in asset prices and here in particular in um, commodity prices. Um, we think that the key driver behind the inflation in equities, in, in bonds, as well as in commodities, is the business cycle. Commodities have performed very well in the second half of 2017. Um, with commodity prices up on average by 16%. And really the key pillar behind this rally and as well as behind our bullish view on, on commodities is the maturing of the business cycle. It's now clear that uh, the world economy has expanded in one of the later stages of the business cycle where um, capacities are, or the uh, capaci um, output gaps are fully closed. So that means the world economy runs above capacity. And at those later stages, historically, commodi commodities have outperformed all other asset classes, with metals prices up on average by 50% per annum. In the current cycle, uh, metals, especially copper, nickel, aluminum, are up on 25% on average. And indeed, the world economy or commodity markets facing the best demand backdrop in at least a decade or better in the, since the 2004-2008 era. As you can see here on the map, we have strong global synchronous growth. Um, the blue shaded areas are um, showing economies in the expansion mode and there is only a few uh, economies in the world which are in recession actually. So the US is running above capacity. Most European uh, Eurozone economies running above capacity. And also China is performing very well, but still below the trend uh, growth of, of the past 10 years. And the, the second driver behind the rally in commodity prices is the depreciating US dollar. Here it's shown the US dollar versus a basket of uh, six major other currencies, for example, the Japanese yen or, or the euro. And actually, it's not surprising that the US dollar depreciates when in, the, in a later stage of the, of the business cycle. Um, but it has an important uh, impact on commodities. Um, we, we, believe, we think that the impact on commodities often uh, depreciating US dollar is through the cost channel. Let's take copper, for example. Chile, as the largest copper producer in the world, um, has a, yeah, roughly 50% of production costs in local currency. So let's, for example, the US dollar depreciate by 10% or the Chilean peso strengthens by 10%. Then copper prices should rally in US dollar terms by 
So, and our colleagues from the FX uh, research expect a further devaluation of the US dollar by 3% by year end. So that yeah, could be translated if, if you take that uh, way that the, the, the dollar should, uh, that the copper prices should further appreciate by 1.5%. No, and it's not true. Actually, um, we have done a study that uh, if the dollar depreciates by 1%, then uh, the impact on copper prices is actually 2.5 times as much as the depreciation of the US dollar. So actually, take this, copper prices could rise by year-end to $8,000 per ton. That's, I think, a very good message for the one who wants to be invested. And as I said before, uh, metals performing very well in the later stages of the cycle, and metals are the, yeah, really the most exposed uh, commodity class to industrial production. Here we have seen the correlation between year-over-year uh, -year, uh, global IP growth, global industrial production growth, versus year-over-year -year changes in the S&P GCI industrial metal index. And I think that during 2008, 2009, you had a very nice correlation. It has broken over the course uh, following the financial crisis, but I think uh, that, that the correlation still holds in, in, at that later stages of the cycle. Um, whoops. Going forward, 2018, 2019 will be likely to be two years of very strong demand growth. We have seen already a significant rally in prices, so many may now uh, fear that we will see a significant supply response uh, either in the U.S. and in, in the U.S. shale sector or in, in metals like, for example, aluminum or copper. Now, we believe actually that supply growth is limited and that demand growth will likely outpace uh, supply growth. That's due to either economic or political reductions yeah, in the oil market. For example, it's uh, OPEC cutting production by 1.8 million barrels per day with its allies uh, in, in Russia as well as Kazakhstan or Mexico. And in the metals uh, space, it's China with supply uh, reductions um, um, yeah, to, to reduce air pollution in, in big cities. So in, in oil uh, in particular, we expect a continuation of very strong demand growth. 2017 was, um, except a year following the financial crisis, the best year in oil demand growth in at least a decade, with 1.7 million barrels per day on average, um, where the bulk in the first half of, of 2017 came from uh, industrialized economies. So. Uh, in the Western world, and in the second half, um, we have seen a rotation back to uh, emerging market economies. And I think that is good news for commodities, as the greater share of, um, of consumption comes, or consumption growth really comes from emerging market economies, yeah? not in China, especially the countries who are exporters in, in oil. 40% yeah, of oil demand growth comes from oil exporting economies. And that's why we believe that we can be 
very bullish on oil demand growth as um, they, this country is facing higher energy intensity as well as less price elasticity. So we don't need to fear that there's higher prices leads to uh, demand destruction. Why? Let's take Saudi Arabia. If they're getting now $70 per barrel for, for its crude, this leads to higher economic activity in Saudi Arabia and ultimately to higher oil demand growth. That's why we believe given a growth rate of 3.9% for the global economy and uh, our still, in terms of current prices, bearish um, trend price forecast of 65, a growth rate of oil demand by 1.8 million barrels per day in 2018. Um, given that strong growth rate, we believe that there need to be a supply response of oil, ex uh, of oil, export, uh, oil producers, not only in the U.S. shale sector, but also from OPEC and Russia. In 2018, we see U.S. production to grow by 1.1, um, 1.2 million barrels. Yeah, and indeed, the rig count has significantly picked up in recent weeks. However, there remain relatively high uncertainties around that yeah, ultimate uh, impact of, or, or relatively high uncertainties if that higher rig count is really translated in higher oil production. And we believe not, for two reasons. The first is U.S. producers has um, or rethink their corporate behaviors. We have seen last year an underperformance of U.S. oil equities relatively to the broader market as well as to the underlying uh, commodity. So um, as the oil price rallied by roughly 40% in, since late June, um, the equities have actually stagnated stagnated in the second half of 2017. So we believe that U.S. oil producers will really focus now on an improvement of its financial metrics. So shareholder returns, cash flow accumulation over production growth. So that's why we don't need to fear that, uh, given that very high price environment right now, that we will see 1.5 million, 1.6 million barrels, or even more, which some market, market participants are fearing. So really, I think that uh, the, this 1.2, 1.2 million barrels growth figure is really the upper end of uh, our forecast range. And that's why we believe that there's also a call on OPEC oil. The second reason why we believe that really that's the upper end of that range is um, logistical bottlenecks. We have problems. Uh, first, we don't have enough frac crews anymore, so oil service companies um, running out of or running above their capacities, and pipelines. Yeah, most of the oil comes from inland deposits, so new pipelines have to be built. They are not there yet. That's another important factor why we don't see. Extraordinary U.S. shale supply growth in 2018. So, and OPEC also shows no interest yet to ramp up production significantly. 
So we expect now that OPEC will um, yeah, show very high discipline to their production cuts in the second half of 2018. So they will really uh, keep production constant until year end before um, yeah, gradual ramping up production in 2019. So OPEC is committed really to uh, keep inventories normalized. They don't want to really ramp up production significantly as they did uh, in, in that run for market or in that, in that race for market share in, in the 2014, 2016 period. OPEC will likely go back to uh, an op uh, a modus operandi they applied in the late 80s and, 90, uh, and early 90s when they expanded production by 15 million barrels per day over that horizon and um, had, uh, yeah, a superior market structure for them where the market was in backwardation. That means that spot prices sitting above forward prices and uh, keeping, for example, now that U.S. shale producers sidelined as they going to hedge out production one year um, uh, forward. And that's, that's uh, now what we are seeing again, that the market is back into backwardation, spot prices above forward prices, and this market structure is the goal of OPEC. So OPEC is actually committed to three, uh, to three goals. First is normalizing inventories, achieved. Backwardation, achieved. So now it's to ramp up production again. But OPEC's assessment of, inventor of the inventory overhang shows still significant levels above that normal level. However, looking on our inventory trackers, we see that the overhang has normalized and that OPEC uh, yeah, is likely to overheat that uh, normalization process. And given that supply disruptions are on the rise, we believe that oil prices will face rising volatility in the second half of 2018, as well as rising prices. Going quick to metal, metals in the metals market, it's the Chinese policy push um, to reduce overcapacity as well as uh, reduce air pollution in, in bigger cities. Um, they started in early 2016 to uh, cut steel capacities as well as limit, uh, limiting uh, coal working hours. Why? At those times, there were rising concerns about um, yeah, that, that the debt bubble in China is um, exploding. So that the, the Chinese government was very clever. Instead of lowering key central bank rates or key interest rates by the PBOC, which would have resulted likely in a further devaluation of the renminbi and would have increased the pressure on the banks who carrying on that non-performing loans, they instead had, a, or, uh, had an approach which was microeconomic and targeted via supply-side supply reforms. Really, they went, uh, they, they cut it, um, steel capacities and limited uh, coal-working mine hours, which has resulted in significant price appreciation in those industries. While coal, steel, aluminum are yeah, the most 
or the, the, the most known uh, commodities which have uh, seen significant appreciation in prices, there are many others. The latest example is LNG. LNG didn't face supply cuts, no, they benefited from them, as there is a push from coal to switching to LNG. This has led in a, in a doubling of the LNG price, the local LNG price in China in three months, in, in, the, in the three months uh, from October to December. Given the success of, of this uh, supply side cuts, we believe that metal supply remains tight throughout the year and beyond. Um, in the short term, really that's the supply side or the supply side reforms in China, which keeps metal, metals markets tight. But um, also over the long term or over the long run, we believe that likely metals, metal or in, in particular the mining sector will likely face another super cycle. Why? Here you can see the supply response to a 10% price increase in copper when does it lead to a significant rise in production? Not tomorrow, not next year, after nine or 10 years where we see a statistical significant response to price increase in copper. So likely we will see, really see a new super cycle in commodities. And that's because of that chart. In the last five years, we have seen a drop in mining capex by 60 to 70 percent. So given that long supply cycle and the drop in mining capex over the last five years, we believe that mining supply in copper, in coal, in iron ore, take your picures uh, commodity, we will see mine supply to decelerate from today's levels. That's why we believe that we will see a self-reinforcing feedback loop of reflation, re-leveraging, and reconvergence, which reinforces our positive outlook on commodities. We have seen reflation in commodity prices in 2017, which has led to a devaluation of the dollar. This devaluation of the dollar lowered EM funding costs, emerging markets, economies, funding costs. Lower funding costs leads to more credit growth in those countries and to more economic activity in those countries and likely leads to more commodity demand. As a result, we have limited supply, strong demand growth, we will see further rising commodity prices. And last but not least, our forecasts, I think they are yeah, bullish, especially in the metal space, but also in, in, in oil and energy, uh, where we see, yeah, we, where we are currently think about raising our forecast to 70 dollars in the summer months in for, for Brent oil and 68 for, for WTI. Are there still 
any issues? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we are lower on iron ore because we believe that uh, that shift in, in in China, yeah, China is the largest iron ore consumer. Um, there is a shift away from that old economy, yeah, that has a, a strong focus on uh, industrial production towards the new uh, a new economy, metals, and. Um, that shift, like uh, from that shift, uh, iron ore will likely suffer. That's why we believe that iron ore will, yeah. Um, we are for 20, 2018, We are, yeah, not that bearish, but over the long run, we are bearish on on iron ore. Yeah. Uh, I don't have one, but my colleagues does have one. Uh, in terms of, of the dollar index, we will see uh, uh, devaluation towards 87 uh, in the index, and towards the euro, uh, we see uh, 126 on in, 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 in uh, US dollar per uh, euro per US dollar. Yeah. Uh, I mean that. <laughs> That's an interesting question. Um, I, I had a slide in, in another presentation where um, we had exactly that um, the revenge, we call that the revenge of the old economy. Yeah? We have seen um, significant rally in commodity prices, but we haven't seen a significant rally in the share prices. So exactly what I'm talking about is we see rising prices, but um, when do the companies uh, really benefit from rising prices when they have enough capacity to ramp up to gain also through volumes and that's exactly that what we will see we will see rising prices but the companies are not able to uh, yeah, respond with new supply so actually the underlying commodity will outperform the, the share prices I'm not talking about single com uh, um, yeah, single uh, shares or equities, but I believe that it's better to be positioned in in the underlying commodity than instead of the the the, the underlying share price or the underlying uh, equity. Yeah. On coal. On coal? Uh, which one? Uh, yeah, that's uh, exactly that. What's uh, what I said um, that. Um, Oh, let's go back to uh, this slide. We've seen rising imports of coal in China. Yeah, uh, that's likely because of uh, the, the, the supply side cuts in those countries, and uh, or in China. So in the near term, bullish. But as as I said, we have that we have seen that or we yeah uh, gradually seeing that shift away from um, export focused Chinese economy towards. Um, a service-focused economy, and uh, coal, iron ore are the ones are likely to suffer from from that shift away from uh, uh, industrial production. Yeah, we have one more. Thermocol. Um, yeah, um, would likely to see. Um, in, in fact, would likely to face the same result, but uh, maybe not uh, as much as. Um, 
Yeah, but, but li also likely to face the same result. As, as, um, we see that shift from coal to uh, gas, uh, natural gas. So that's, that's in, in the long run, we will see lower prices for coal. Okay, thank you. We have no more time for any more questions. Yeah.